You know, watch that little bumper video. It kind of reminds me of uh, about 40 years ago, I was doing driver's ed. And my very first time of getting behind the wheel was a time that our driver's ed instructor came to my house, picked me up. There was already another student in the car, and that student proceeded to drive, and, and we ended up driving downtown San Antonio. That They had been doing all of their driving. That was their last drive that they had to do, and so they did. They did their downtown drive in San Antonio, and then my instructor had them pull over while we were still downtown, and he told me that I needed to get in the driver's seat. And I was like, uh, okay, I just complied, and I did, and I kind of like going, I really wish that you'd have this student drive us out of downtown and uh, I could start somewhere else. But uh, I was just a simple complying person back then. That's a person that Cheryl has never known, by the way. Um, and, and so I did. I, I, I got behind the wheel and, and he just told me to start driving. And so I did, and I'm just driving, and I'm a little nervous, and I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant, and, and I end up making a turn. As I made a turn, well, it turns out I went the wrong way on a one-way street. And as soon as I made this turn, there were some cars that went like this before the instructor could even react and, and, and hit the brake that was in front of him. And I wish that I could tell you that, that 40 years ago, that's the only time I've ever done that downtown San Antonio. But I also can tell you that less than 40 weeks ago, when Cheryl was in the car, that she got to experience me doing the same thing as I turned the wrong way on a one-way street. And it does. It just kind of lets you see that whole counterculture and people just begin to part like the sea, you know? And, and so we're going to be in this series called Counterculture. And as we get started in this series, we're going to be looking at Jesus' most famous message or sermon that he ever gave. It was, it's literally called the Sermon on the Mount, is what it's called. Has anybody here ever been to the mountains? Help me. Yes? Yeah. I'm not talking about Texas Hills, right? <laughs> I'm talking about the mountains, right? That, that, that you've been to the mountains and, you, and you've done some exciting things maybe at, at the mountains. That, that maybe you, you've gone skiing or snowboarding. Anybody skiing, snowboarding down the mountains? Yeah, I remember taking... Um, Students, I used to do this when I was a student pastor. Every other year, we, we'd take them skiing on a ski trip. And, and one of these students, big football player named Chase, and, and he wasn't doing too well with this whole thing. But, but his mama went on the trip, which probably wasn't too good for him, because she was like, uh, I paid for you. You're getting up on that. You're going down. You know? and, and so he did. He'd go down a couple times. And he finally told his mom, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. And his mom said, no, you need to get back. You need to do this. And he looked at his mom, and he goes, you see all these people, mom? If I go back up that hill, they're all just innocent victims. You know, <laughs> he just couldn't control himself. You know, but but we do. We can go to the mountains and we can experience these great things and these great experiences. Maybe it is. Maybe it is that snowing or that skiing. Maybe it's just straight, straight out, just going hiking and and just enjoying the beauty and the nature of outdoors there that you get to see when it comes to that. Maybe it's even rafting that that you get to go up into the mountains and just literally go whitewater rafting down the mountain. These incredible experiences when you go to the mountains. When, when Cheryl and I were engaged, that, that her brother was getting married in Colorado in the mountains, and so we, we went up there for his wedding, and one of the things that we did that I had never done before, it was we actually rented some mountain bikes 
on the mountain and they put the mountain bikes on the ski lifts and they take them up the mountain and you get to ride down the mountain and, and, and you're not like doing this. If anybody's ever done this, you might be going, wow, this, you know, but it was not that you, you have trails and switchbacks and you get a pick. Do I want easy? Do I want medium? Do I want difficult? Well, well, anyway, we, we were just getting started. We had just gotten our bikes off and, and we're literally, we're just getting started hitting the very first trail and Cheryl falls over. She hits her knee and she passes out. And I'm like going, uh, I don't know what to do here. I, I, I literally went running because I figured I'd probably do better going uphill running than what I was going to do with this bike. And, and I went back to the lift where people, and, and I was trying to get help. And they got somebody and they got him over. And, and by the time they brought him over, she was just starting to come to. And as she was starting to come to, they're very concerned about what they've got to do. I'm sure the lawyers tell them, be very concerned, you know. And so, so they're very concerned about her, even though she's already come to. And, and they insist that, that we actually go into this little bunker, into this uh, first aid house and everything. And, and so they're just trying to review everything with her. And as they're reviewing everything with her, they're like going, uh, okay, um, well, ma'am, do you have any history with it? You know, and she asks all these questions. So finally they get to this question. Well, are you pregnant? And she looks at this guy and she goes, no, I'm not pregnant. And he looks at her with that answer and, and, and he's like going, I think you're in denial. You know, and he's like, um, no, really, I, I, I need you to really consider that. Are you, are you pregnant? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not pregnant. And I'm like going, um, we're engaged and we're not doing anything that she could be pregnant because of me. I hope that she's not pregnant, you know. I, you know, I'm like, you know. And, and, and so, so she asks her this again. And he's just really kind of insistent like, you know, this really could be. And you're going to have to be really careful if you've got a little child growing, you know. And, and she finally looked at the guy and she goes, I am not pregnant. And he says, well, how can you be sure? And he looked, she looked at this guy and she goes, two words, no sex. <laughs> and he's like, okay, so you're not pregnant. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I think about that and I think, you know, even that was countercultural. Here we were, we're, we're adults and, and we're, we're dating, we're actually engaged. And it's like, hey, the cultural thing to do is that hey, you're, you're just, you're doing, we, we just said, hey, we're going to save ourselves for marriage. And that was just the approach that we took. And so it is, it's countercultural. Well, we're going to be in this series, Counterculture. We're going to be looking at seeing what are these things that, that Jesus taught that, that were countercultural. Because when he taught this Sermon on the Mount, that, that, he, that he shared some countercultural thing, he shared some things, and, and, and he was talking about a, a time when, when, when political unrest and, and there was a lot of division. He, he was teaching this at a time that, that when it came to religion, people were teetering on religion. It kind of reminds me a lot of kind of the time that you and I are in today. And he shared this counter-cultural message. And, and, and these things that, that he shared, he, he shared, hey, when, when people want to take, just give. When, when, when people want to use and abuse you, help them. It just, he was just so countercultural in the things that, that you and I, that we would think. And today we're going to get started with talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. That Jesus had several of these statements, these, these blessed statements that he shared with us. And, and the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a message about salvation and how, how you can make this decision to choose to follow Jesus as he was sharing all of this. That that really wasn't the focus of the Sermon on the Mount. That the focus of the Sermon on the Mount was about living righteously. It was about understanding the way God has designed us and created life and, and, and created us for relationship in him. And what would that look like for us to live out our life the way that he designed for us to live out this life? And so he taught these beatitudes. And these beatitudes are these counter-cultural teachings. Absolutely radical Countercultural teachings. When you, when you look at these Beatitudes, some of us are going, hey, we're so familiar with these. We've read these so many times. We just know about them. And yeah, of course, yeah, oh, great, the Beatitudes. What are you going to teach on that? But some of you might be looking at these and hearing these for the very first time. And when you hear these for the very first time, it, it's one of those, it can make your head spin. You're like going, that, that doesn't appear to be a position of being blessed. But, but Jesus does, he, he lays out these statements. And they do, they seem to count, contradict each other. And so let's take a look at these as we look in Matthew chapter five. So Matthew chapter five, we'll start in verse one. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. It's like, hey, kind of like when I brought that Gatorade out earlier, right? I mean, he's like going, oh, we're gonna be here a while. And it is, it's, it's a long, it covers chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. I mean, he's just going, going and just sharing truth after truth. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so as he's teaching them, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the one we're gonna come back to and that we're gonna spend the rest of our time unpacking. But I want us to look at all of these beatitudes today before we unpack this one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will actually be, be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. The, the, each of these statements, what they show, is they show a reward that could be ours. That, that, that when this is our reality, that, that we are going to be blessed. And, and, and then he said, this is what the reward, this is what the blessing actually is. This is what the blessing actually looks like for us when we look at these beatitudes, that when we make room in our hearts for God's truth, it impacts us in the greatest ways. 
But some of us kind of stiff arm God and we don't, we don't open up and say, God, I'm, I'm making room for, for your truth in my life. Some of us just go, you know, I'm going to determine for myself what's true and what's right and, and I'm just going to live my life by my, my truth. In fact, culturally, isn't that where we are? That, that we're in this culture that, that people embrace not just truth, but they have this little caveat, two-word statement before it. And that two words, I mean two letters, not two words, these, these, these two letters are the word my. My truth. But we've got to stop and go, hey, let's look at what the truth is that, that Jesus actually shared with us. And, and here's the thing, that, that history, it, it doesn't reject the personhood of Jesus. The history is not going, well, we really don't know if Jesus existed or if he did not. That we understand that there was a real person named Jesus that lived on this earth. And that people, whether they believe it or not, know that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And when it comes to this Jesus, history, it doesn't reject him. In fact, history actually reflects on Jesus' goodness. His goodness. That even people that don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, they will believe that Jesus was a good man. And the history just reflects on, hey, here's a guy who, who actually was good. Now, I personally believe that he was more than just good. I believe he was God. And he was the son of God. And he was a savior for your and for my sins. And so he gets to these beatitudes and he wants to teach us some things through these beatitudes. And the beatitudes reveal where a deeper and a longer lasting happiness can be found. That's what these reveal. These eight or nine, depending on how you count these tables. We'll do a little Greek lesson this morning. And the Greek word, makarios, that when we look at this word, it means blessed, happy, fortunate. So when we see this word blessed, and keep being repeating it, it's Jesus saying, hey, happy, fortunate, blessed, this is what you are when you go through these situations, when this is what is descriptive and accurate of you. And, and, and Jesus, when he, when he wants us to understand this idea of, of being blessed, that there's not being this blessed, it doesn't mean that, that you're just going to be somebody that you're going to have all the things that you want to have in life. That, that maybe you'll run into somebody and they'll, hey, how you doing? I'm just living the blessed life, you know? And, and as they're saying that, they're, they're probably saying, everything's going my way. I'm living the blessed life. And, and it's great when we can find ourselves in that when it seems like everything's going our way. But Jesus wanted us to know, listen, you can be living the blessed life when things aren't going the way that you actually wanted them to be going. That there is some, some joy that can be found because there's a reward that comes with this type of blessing. And a blessing that doesn't even appear and look like it's a blessing at face value. And so we look at this, and, and happy doesn't mean you're just going to have all the things that's going to go your way, that you're going to have what you want, and it's all going to be happening, coming at you the way that you want it to happen. No, this word bless, this, this makarios, that we look at this, it means that, that you have an internal joy that the world can't compete with and the world can't take from you. That's the blessed that Jesus talks about. 
as he gets to these and he unpacks these. And, and what Jesus, what he, what he taught, is Jesus taught us that joy is found in the most unlikely places. In the most unlikely of places. These, these, these blessings that we go, but I, I don't want that for me. I don't, I don't want to have to endure. I don't want to have to go through that. But blessings, they, they are found in the most unlikely places. But we've got to look and see and recognize what's God doing. We've got to maintain a heart that's true to him so that we can see that we really are blessed no matter what the circumstance so again, these, these eight or nine, however you count them, that these unlikely state of being blessed, that these are where we find this joy, that this, this happiness that the world can't offer and the world can't compete with. And, and these blessings, they are counter-cultural. They are counter-logical. And so let's look back at this first one that Jesus said. In verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think if we were to take a survey and I were to say, how many of you want to be poor in spirit? I don't think we'd get any takers. But, but if I ask, how many want to be someone that when it comes to this, that you go, hey, I, I get to have the kingdom of heaven? You don't even have to be a believer in Jesus and go, I want that. Because we, we, we love the idea of the kingdom of heaven. It, it's, it's ours. It's ours to have. It's ours to be in. And, and that's where we're going to all end up. That's what we all want. That's what we all crave. But we don't necessarily all end up there. That there's something that has to happen if you and I are actually going to end up in heaven. So, so Jesus does, he, he, he comes along and he teaches this and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, 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 and when we look at this idea of, of poor, there, there's actually two main words in Greek when it comes to poor. And, and, and one of those means that you don't have enough. A lot of us can, can relate to this side of being poor. It might be, you know, something that's like, hey, you went to go make a dessert and you didn't have quite enough oil to finish making that dessert. You, you were a little poor on oil. You, you just didn't have enough. Maybe, maybe it's worse than that. Maybe it's I went to go make a meal and you know what? We, 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 we ate, but we didn't eat till we were full. We, we, we didn't have enough. And that's one of the ways that, that we see this word poor in our Bible. But there's, a, there's another word for poor, and it's actually the one that's going to be used here, and we'll actually look at this in a moment. But, but this word means you have nothing at all. It's this sense of being bankrupted. You have not, it's not that you go, hey, I've got a little bit, let me throw a little together, and we're still going to be hungry after we eat. It's the cupboard's completely bare. There is nothing. We're not, we're not going to be eating. There's nothing to be had. There's nothing to be found. We can't make a little because we have nothing. So one of the things that I think can help us try to grasp a little bit more of this is let's just look at this same Matthew 5 at, at, 
at, at a few different translations because I think the translators that they've they've come along and they've said, hey, let me let me either paraphrase this, and it's a Bible that's going, hey, we really didn't translate, but we're just going to kind of paraphrase, or it's going to be a Bible translation that says instead of translating individual words, we're going to take the thought and we're we're going to translate the thought and and try to get a better understanding of this. So we'll just look at three of these together. That here it is in, in, in God's word translation. Blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And I'm sure if you, you see that, you're like going, oh, Will, that really clears it up. Thank you. No, maybe it brings more confusion. What, what, what do you mean, Will, if, if we're spiritually helpless, then how do we get, how do we have the kingdom of heaven if we are spiritually helpless? Let's look at another translation, and here's the contemporary English version. God blesses those people who depend only on him, that they belong to the kingdom of heaven. So now we're starting to see a little bit of a different angle. And, and, and it's the sense of, hey, poverty, I'm poor, I'm poor I've, got, I've got nothing, I'm, I'm spiritually, I'm, I'm bankrupt spiritually, I'm broke. And so I, I need to depend on someone or something other than myself. And, and that's, that's what happens when it comes to what Jesus is teaching us here. And then the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. That's just trying to understand what this means to be spiritually poor. It's, re, it's they realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven. It is theirs. And so poor, it, 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 it oftentimes it describes what, what someone doesn't have. It's that description, I'm poor, and so we think about what we don't have. But here, Jesus doesn't use this to describe what someone doesn't have. He uses it to describe what someone is. Spiritually poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that that's what you are, that that's where you find yourself in life. So let's get to this word poor that's used here, this word patokas, one of one who crouches and cowers, beggarly, poor, destitute. This hunching over is this sense of, I've absolutely got nothing. It's a grieving, it's a desperate, there is nothing. I am utterly helpless. I've got nothing. And then what we see here when it comes to this idea of poor, of what's being taught here is Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, is that he's telling us and he's teaching us that when it comes to being poor, that for us it's this idea, it's this metaphor, this idea that, that there is this complete dependence. It's not a partial dependence, it's a complete dependence. And it's a complete dependence on, on someone or something. It's this recognizing and looking within and going, I don't have enough to get me through this, and so I'm going to completely depend on someone or something else. You see, when our life depends on us, and we, we do, we, we feel, I'm going to depend on me, that, that we often end up having a lukewarm faith. That, that when we're not depending on God, because we're going, hey, I'm going to look to me and see if I can get me through this and see, see if I, oh, oh, I, oh, I can't. Okay, okay God, I'm, I'm, God can, can I bug you for a minute? 
But when we take a, an approach in life that says, I'm not going to ever depend on me. Instead, I'm just going to always depend on God. That doesn't take us to a place of being lukewarm. Jesus actually talked about this when he made this revelation in the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, starting in verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It's that sense of, hey, patooey, who, who, does anybody like lukewarm coffee? I mean, Starbucks figured something out, right? They're like, hey, there, there, there's hot coffee, and, and we did great with that, but, but what about cold coffee, iced coffee? And it's like, oh, yeah, there's people that like that too. They, they, they like it hot, and they like it cold. But you're going to be really a strange bird if you're like, oh, can I have some uh, lukewarm coffee? <laughs> we, just, we just don't. And it's like, we, we want to spit that out. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, when it comes to who we are in our faith, that, that, that if we're just kind of lukewarm, we're kind of like halfway there, you know, we used to be warm and we're not anymore. And we're just drifting and getting colder and cold, but we're in that lukewarm state. No, who, who wants that? Who wants to experience this? And so because of this, that I'm going to spit you out. That we look at this last part and he says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And who is it that's not able to recognize that about themselves? It's those who are rich. Those who say, we just have to be self-sustained. And when this is you, you are wretched and you are poor spiritually because you don't know what it means to really depend on your heavenly father. That it's this cold or hot. Jesus says, I'd rather you be one or the other. Don't find yourself in that middle. That's not where we want to be. This idea of being independent, the independence, it prevents us from recognizing our need for God. And we do. We, we live in a nation that promotes independence. And, and I love that we get to live in a nation of, of independence. But you know, there's something else about our nation that I don't love. And that is that, that we're a nation that we are one of the most un satisfied nations on the planet. That we have our independence. We're in the top 2% of world wealth. And yet we are some of the most miserable people on the planet. And we find ourselves with all of our resources and all that we have and go, I'm independent. And I can self-sustain my life. But when you go to another country that's a third world country and you begin to see their poverty and how they live, maybe you've done it because you're active duty and had to go. Maybe you're a contractor and had to go. 
Maybe you chose to vacation because they had this little tiny pocket that was a resort area. Maybe you've been on a mission trip like some of the mission trips that we've done. And you've gone and, and you've seen poverty. And at first your heart breaks because you're like going, but they're so poor. But if you linger long enough, what you're going to see is what they don't have in possessions, they more than make up for with peace and joy in their life. That they didn't need all of the wealth to find joy in life. And that what we've got to realize that chasing all the stuff and having the things, it, it's not where this deep, sustainable joy comes from. But we've got to turn that off in our mind. Because otherwise we convince ourselves in this nation that that's where we're going to find joy. And it's not going to be found there. That, that Jesus did. He, he wanted us to know some things. And so let's break down and see when it comes to what would it be like to live life without Jesus? Because he blessed are the poor in spirit is, is those that realize their need for Jesus. That's where Jesus is going with this. That you recognize your need for him and you accept him into your life. But if you're rich in spirit and you're, I'm just, I'm just enjoying life. How you know, it couldn't be better. I'm just living the dream, doing my own thing. Then that's living without Jesus. So I want us to look and understand four things here when it comes to without Jesus. That without Jesus... I will be left to pay for my own sins. I, I know it's not very pretty. It's not, it's not very inspirational. You know, it's not like, oh, let me write that. I, I don't want to write that down, Will. Because I don't like that idea. But that idea is true. And we can either live life with Jesus and we're going to end up in heaven. Or we can live life without Jesus and never trusting him as our savior and we're not going to end up in heaven. We're going to end up in a very real place called hell. And, and, and some people have this misconception of hell. That, that some people think that hell is a place that God sends people that he's mad at. I'm mad at you and, and, and go to hell. And, and some of us think that because we've either said that to somebody or, or we've had that said to us when somebody's mad at us. And, and that's not what hell is. Hell's not a place for, for God that he sends people to when when he's mad at them, it's a place that he sends people to that, that don't have a relationship with his son. It's a, it's a place that he sends people to of the people that choose to pay for their own sin. And without Jesus, we're left to pay for our own sin. That, that without forgiveness, our sins aren't going to be paid for. And so that's why we need Jesus that nobody's going to get to heaven and see God, and God's going to go, thanks for trying so hard. It's not going to happen. Because we don't get to try hard enough to get to heaven. It's just a matter of saying, I'm going to put my belief, Jesus, in who you've said that you are. I'm going to put my belief that you've risen from the dead. I'm going to put my belief in you did that to pay for my sins. You did that so that I could have a right standing and restore a relationship with me and my heavenly Father. That Paul was teaching us this truth, and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory 
of God. Jesus is the only exception to this. And Paul could say for all, because all people that are only human, because Jesus was God and human, and so all humans fall short of the glory of God that we have all sinned. And then Paul wanted us to know, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That the wages of sin is death because we're left to what? Pay for our own sins. And so those of us that have Jesus, it's because of Jesus, I don't have to pay for my own sins if or when I trust him. That if I trust him, he's going to pay for them and I don't have to pay for them. And one of the funny things I, I find about our country is our currency. Because our currency has a statement on it and I don't really think it's very accurate of our country. And that currency says, in God we, we trust. And maybe there was a time that as a nation that was an accurate description of us. But I don't think it's a very accurate description of us today. That another thing that we can look at that Paul was teaching, he says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And he's talking about the spiritual death. We were just spiritually dead. He says, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And he's talking about Satan there, a.k.a. the devil. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Because without Jesus, we're left to pay our own sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, He's rich in this. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. Saved from having to pay for sin with your own life because of what Jesus has done for you. So let's look at a second one. Without Jesus, I will be left to cope with my pain. That, that I cope with my pain because I have no hope. That, that, that is this sense of, hey, that, that when it comes to you and to I, that's like, hey, we, we've got to pull out our own little Band-Aids. And, and, and we've got to apply them to our own wounds. And some of the places it seems easy for us to reach and self-apply, and then some of the places, anybody ever tried to put a Band-Aid on one of your arms? I mean, it, it's hard. And sometimes we're trying to apply a Band-Aid to our life that, that we're not going to be able to effectively apply. Sometimes we're trying to apply a Band-Aid where we need surgery. And we're going, I, I, I'm rich, I can take care of this, I can do this, I'm, I'm gonna do this by myself. The, the, the people without Jesus, the, the, they often are, are at a place like this, that, hey, this is just who I am, take it or leave it. This is me. And we don't have to be that way. We, we can be who God's created us to be, who he wants us to be. And so in Jeremiah 6, 14, says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, 
peace, they say, when there is no peace. And so because of Jesus, I can be healed of my past and transformed. I don't don't have to cope. I can be healed of my past and I can be transformed. That, That Peter, he wanted us to know this. He said, he himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to the sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And he goes on, he says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, God's invited us to his operating room. And and those of us that that come and, and let him do surgery on our soul, we get to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The third thing for us, Without Jesus, I will be left to create my own purpose. That I've, I've got to figure out, hey, what, what's my purpose in this life? And, and I, what am I going to do? And, and how do I make the most of this short time that I live here? And those that find themselves going, hey, I'm just going to be rich in spirit. They, they, they're rich in spirit and they're happy with that until they aren't. And they're going, I, I keep trying. I'm not finding my happiness. What, what can I be doing to find find my happiness, that, that God desires something for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so because of Jesus, I have the ability to know who I am created to be to who I'm created to be in him and in God. And so in Acts chapter 17, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far away from any of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. It's that purpose that we get to find in him. And the last one, that without Jesus, I will be left to forfeit my joy when I die. That without Jesus, the joy that we have here on earth, joy ends when this life is over. We're gonna have to forfeit it. But, but when we have Jesus, our joy is going to last for eternity. We're gonna have an eternal joy. As we continue to look at what Peter was saying, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, And in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That because of Jesus, 
I can have joy that lasts in eternity. It's because of him. And the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's who gets to inherit this. Because see, the poor in spirit recognize they're utterly bankrupt. I've got nothing. It's not that I've got a little bit and let me get by. I've got nothing. And I'm going to depend on someone or something else. And Jesus, I see that you, you are the one that I can depend on. And so for every one of us watching online, for every one of us here in the room that, that we've done this, and we've depended on Jesus because we saw our poverty of being bankrupt. We were spiritually poor and we saw it and we recognized it. And we took a hold of what was being offered to us. And now we are given the kingdom of heaven. It's our promise of our reward. But maybe for you, you're going, I've, I've never got to that place. I, I've, I've been trying to be that person that I'm trying to be rich in spirit. And I keep trying to fill my spirit myself so that I can feel good about life and who I am, but it just keeps landing me in a miserable place. Well, that misery needs to be your cue that you need Jesus. It needs to be what what you can use to begin to understand I am bankrupt, I'm poor without him. And that I need him. And that when you get him, you get the promise of heaven. Would you bow your heads with me? Is there anybody here this morning? Maybe this is you and, and you're online. But is there anybody that's listening that you're going, Will, that's that's me. I've I've not realized just how poor in spirit I am. That I am bankrupt. And that I absolutely need something else, someone else to fill me. If that's you and you're ready to let Jesus be what fills you, and you've never done this before, would you just raise your hand, make eye contact with me, say, well, that's me. I need, I need Jesus. I recognize that I'm spiritually poor. Is there anybody here this morning that you would say, that's true of me? I see you, and I see you. Is there anybody else that you're ready to go, I'm recognizing my spiritual poverty, and I realize that Jesus He's going to give me exactly what I need. Well, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just whether you're on your couch, driving your car, whether you're here in the room. And pray this prayer with me, silently in your heart to your Heavenly Father. God, I'm poor in spirit. I'm bankrupt. I don't have a little. I've got nothing. And Jesus, I see what you've done for me. And I trust that you've done that for me. I admit that I've got these sins 
these faults. I've not even lived up to my own standard for life, let alone the standard that you've laid out for life. So I ask you to forgive me and restore me to a right standing with my Heavenly Father so that the kingdom of heaven 